This is a Saddleback Church podcast. Today we're kicking off a new series called Praying for Breakthrough. And these next few weeks we're going to be praying for breakthrough. We're going to be focused on the subject of prayer and asking God for a breakthrough personally and in our church, through our lives together. And we're getting ready for Easter. Actually, we are three weeks away from Easter weekend. Uh, I love Easter. It's my favorite holiday of the year. Uh, Multiple reasons. I love to eat all those little Easter candies that belong to my kids, and I take them. Um, And I also love to celebrate, because that weekend we celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive. There is hope for us because of Easter. And uh, on Easter weekend, as you know, this is the weekend that so many people come to church for the very first time, Uh, so many people come back to church, and it's one of the greatest opportunities of the year to bring somebody to church with you. And I wanna invite you to begin thinking about and praying through who's gonna be that person that you bring with you to the Easter service coming up three weeks from now. Also, on Easter weekend, we're having one massive celebration at all of our campuses, every service. We're gonna be celebrating baptism is that decision. Once a person's made a decision to follow Jesus, it's the first public profession of that internal decision that has been made. And if you are new to faith, if you've recently made a decision to follow Jesus, or you made a decision a long time ago but have never gone public, I wanna invite you to do that this Easter. In fact, you can sign up today uh, when you take your next steps at the end of our service. I wanna invite you, you can do that there. Uh, You can also do it through the connection card, but I wanna encourage you, uh, if you've never taken that step, to do that this Easter on Easter weekend. Now, today as we begin our series on prayer, one of the things I love about our church is I love that there are so many people at so many different places in their journey spiritually. Some of you, you're here at church for the first time. Some of you have been coming to church for decades. And the subject of prayer, whenever you hear the word prayer, there are a lot of different things that come to mind. Every religion teaches about prayer. Prayer is in culture. Prayer is often in movies. People will use the word, I'm going to pray for you when someone's sick. And we think about prayer a lot. But sometimes when we think about prayer, prayer is the thing that we say. Like you've, you've tried it all. You've, you need a new job, create your resume. Uh, go to LinkedIn. Sign Find a way with indeed.com. Like go somewhere to find a good job. And if nothing else works, what should you do? You should pray. And then sometimes when it comes to sickness, you'll say, well, go to a doctor, take medicine. And if it doesn't work, pray. And so often when it comes to prayer, prayer is the thing that we think of last. It's like the last resort. But this year, earlier this year, something happened in the culture here in the United States of America. There was a football player named Damar Hamlin who on the field, he passed out, went into cardiac arrest. Uh, And as he was there on the field, they they came and revived him, and he went to the hospital. And there was a period of time for a couple of weeks as he's there in the hospital, people started praying. And all over our culture, all over the news, people who are not followers of Jesus, people who are not religious, people were saying, pray for Damar, pray for Damar. And what it did was, in our culture, it brought prayer back to the surface. It brought prayer back to the forefront as a solution to our problems. But I want to come back to the way that we think of prayer when it comes to being a solution for our problems. Sometimes prayer is the last resort. It's the last thing that we do. But this series, my challenge and our hope is to get to a place where prayer becomes the first response instead of the last resorts. 
So if you're taking notes, the question we're going to wrestle through is, what if prayer became my first response instead of my last resort? What if prayer became the thing that we went to first when we're in marriage trouble? What if prayer went, became the thing that we went to first when we were facing challenges with our kids? What if prayer was the thing that we did before we tried everything else we started with prayer? So this series, Praying for Breakthrough, we're going to focus on how often in our lives we get stuck. We're trying to get breakthrough. We get stuck personally with habits and thinking. We get stuck in relationships, maybe sometimes stuck in a relationship that's gone too long, or sometimes you're in a relationship that you're committed to, but you just feel like you are stuck and you're not going anywhere. So the commitment that we want to make with this series is when I am stuck, I will start with prayer. When I find myself needing a breakthrough, instead of turning to my own power, I want to train my mind and my heart to begin with prayer. When I'm stuck, I will start with prayer. So we're going to look at three big areas in this series. We're going to start with personal breakthrough this week. And we're going to talk about how do we get breakthrough with prayer on a personal level. Next week, we're going to talk about relational breakthrough and relationships in our lives where we find ourselves at odds with the people around us. And then that last week, we're going to talk about missional breakthrough. We're going to talk about how do we get a breakthrough with God using our lives to make a difference. Now, in all of this, actually, to help us get ready for Easter, to help us pray more as a church, this week at our Lake Forest campus and all of our other campuses across the United States, we are going to be having a night of prayer and worship that we want to invite you to come back out to as we focus corporately on prayer. But today what I want to do is I want to start with you. I want to start with your heart. And what I'd like for you to think of on the front end of the message is I want you to think of an area where you personally need breakthrough. I want you to think about an area where you've tried to change and you feel like you're one step forward, two steps back. And no matter how much energy, money, time you throw at the problem, it doesn't seem to change. Personal breakthrough. And as we think about that, I'm going to teach on the front end for just a few moments about the subject of prayer and then I'm going to give us some big prayers that we can pray to get personal breakthrough. Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1, Jesus is with his disciples. And his disciples come to him wanting Jesus to teach them about prayer. And I want you to notice Jesus' words to them in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 1. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying, and as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord Teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray. Now, Jesus' disciples, they, they saw him pray. They watched him in the wilderness pray. They watched him uh, in between meals. They watched him as they were together. They noticed in his life that prayer was central to all that Jesus did. And they wanted to know how to pray. And Jesus responds, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. I want to encourage you to circle the word Father in your notes. And then afterwards, circle the word Holy. These are two key components that Jesus is teaching. And he's helping his disciples understand that when you pray, you're praying to your heavenly Father. Just like a child would come to their father for a conversation. Prayer is a direct line to God. 
That means at any moment of any day, you and I can go straight into the throne room of God and we can pray. You can pray in your seat right now. You can pray when someone cuts you off in traffic this week. Instead of what if prayer became the first thing you did instead of extending a blessing of one finger to them. Prayer can become the first thing that you do in any moment you can pray. You have a direct line to God. A couple of weeks ago, Stacy and I, uh, we went away. We stayed in a cabin, and it just so happened that there was not cell reception at this cabin. And it was kind of intentional because we're supposed to get away, but if I'm honest, there's still like that little, you know, bit of me that wants to get the phone messages all the time. Anybody else, like when you cannot get messages, your anxiety starts to build. You're like, the world is falling apart, and here I can't solve it. I, they, everybody else needs help. And we start to feel the anxiety. So we're on the mountain for three days, and uh, every so often I'm like starting to get nervous about my messages, and then we would like go back down the hill, and when we would go back down the hill, all my messages would come in. So I was like, bing, 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 and you go back up on the mountain. And when I'm on the mountain, when I was on the mountain, I could think, my mind was more clear, but there was still this part of me that's like, I want direct access to people all the time. And after the three days were over, as we're coming back home to be with the kids, it was like within an hour, um, all of our friends and the people we work with knew that we were coming back like within an hour. There were like three phone calls I had to get on and all these text messages. And what I started to think about when it came to my direct access to God, that so often my direct access to people all the time, all day long, can prevent me from accessing relationship with God at any given moment. And sometimes the technology always on nature of our world has us so busy that we can miss the most important component of our lives, which is our relationship with God. Right now, you and I have direct access to God. And sometimes just by going on airplane mode, turning Wi-Fi off, closing our phone down, our minds can get redialed in to what is most important, central to our lives, relationship with God. Prayer is a direct line to God. Also, prayer involves both reverence and relationship. So notice what Jesus says. Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. So he's helping us understand that when we come to God, we come to God as a heavenly father that wants to hear our prayers but we also come with reverence that he's the creator of the universe. He's, he's not just my bro. He's not, he's not just another person that I talk to like I do somebody who's checking me out at Starbucks. Not like checking me out, checking me out, but like checking me out. I said that and I was like, oh, that came out wrong. Checking me out. No, like check it out. Let me pay for my coffee. Anyways, um, <laughs> point being, uh, I don't just talk to God like I would any other human being. I talk to God with reverence for who he is. Great are you, Lord. So when we sing songs of worship about the greatness of God, we're reminding our souls, yes, he's a father, but we should also reveal him, revere him. And third is this, prayer helps me experience both God's plans and purposes for my life. So prayer helps me experience God's plans and purposes for my life. And I believe that if we were to truly wrap our minds around this reality, it would change the way we pray. James in chapter five, verse 16 says this. 
He says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. So there is a power in confession that when we acknowledge our sins, there's a healing that comes. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I want to read it one more time. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And then he takes us to a guy in the Old Testament named Elijah. Elijah went up on a mountaintop and he prayed for God to send rain. Now he had prayed previous to that three and a half years that there would be a drought. And then he prays for God to send rain. And watch what James says. Elijah was as human as we are. This is important. Everybody in the Bible, aside from Jesus, you and I are just like them. We, we are humans just like them. We have the same sin tendencies, the same brokenness, and the same access to God. And the same potential for our lives to make the kind of difference that their lives did. And Elijah was human just as us, he says. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. There was a drought in all of the land because of Elijah. And then at the end of three and a half years, he prayed for rain and rain came again. And it made me think in Southern California, there's some Elijah somewhere praying for rain right now. Is there not? This winter, he's been praying all winter long. Powerful and effective are the prayers of a righteous person. In your notes, this phrase is so important. This is a cultural phrase for us as a church. God does things when we pray that he doesn't when we don't. God does things when we pray that he doesn't when we don't. God uses prayer as a catalyst in our lives. God uses prayer as a catalyst to change marriages. God uses prayer as a catalyst to bring revival to lands. God uses prayer as a catalyst to bring people to salvation. God uses prayer. And he does things when we pray that he doesn't when we don't. And my hope today is that as we look at personal breakthrough, that area of your life where you need a breakthrough, that God would use prayer as a catalyst to bring you out of a place of, of, of being stuck, out of a place where you find yourself struggling over and over again. So we're going to look at two passages, Psalm 139 and Psalm 51. In Psalm 139, we're going to talk about two prayers that David gives us, and then the second psalm, we're going to look at two more prayers. Psalm 139, David begins, and he says, you, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Sometimes we're like reading the Bible, and we're just going along and we can miss. So when you woke up this morning, God knew you were going to wake up. He knew how many times you were going to press that snooze button. He knew when you would sit down and when you would lie down and when you'd roll over and how much REM and deep sleep you get. He, he knew all of that before you went to bed last night and before you woke up this morning. And David is saying this knowledge that, that God is, he's in front of me, he's behind me, he knows when I sit, when I rise, it's it's. Unbelievable. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before me. And you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge 
is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. He is saying that God is in front of me, he's behind me, and the image of a father placing his hands on his son or daughter's head. And I love to do this with my kids. I love to kiss them on the head like this, just as a dad with love, like this kindness and this love and affirmation. This is the love of God for every human being on the face of the planet. And David says, it's it's just too lofty for me to attain. You know my thoughts. You know what I'm gonna say. It's like in a marriage. Stacy and I are coming up on 20 years. And in our marriage, uh, I know the look. I know the look of you're talking too much. I know the look of it's time to leave. I know when she puts her hand on my leg, underneath the table, what it means, it means wrap it up, wood. I, like I, I know, I know these things. And it's just in a relationship, that familiarity, there's a knowledge that God has of you. It's personal, it's, it's a father with a son, a father with a daughter. And, and King David says it's, it's mind blowing to actually think about it. You made, he says in verse 13, think about this, you made <clears throat> all the delicate, inner parts of my body, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Why don't you turn to your neighbor right now and say, you are wonderfully complex. You are, you're wonderfully complex. Maybe you could say you're complicated. That might be another way of saying it. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Now look at them and say you're a workmanship too. You're marvelous. You are knit together. I didn't say ask them out on a date. I just said tell them, tell them that they're marvelous. Okay, watch this, verse 15. You watch me as I was being formed in utter seclusion. As I was woven together in the dark of the womb, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious your thoughts about me, oh God, they cannot be numbered. I want you to think about yourself for just a moment as a little boy or a little girl. And I want you to remember maybe there were moments where you were at home with your parents and they threatened you by saying, I'm gonna pull out the baby pictures. But you remember those moments when you looked at you as a child and that little you God of the universe made you, and he started with you at conception. And I love this image of someone who is knitting together. Never done much knitting in my life, but I've watched people. Not too long, because it gets boring if you watch it. But God, but God, he was knitting together in your mother's womb. So that means the womb is a sacred place. The womb is a place where God is at work forming together human life and the value of every human being inside the womb to the God of the universe. There is nobody you will ever lock eyes with that was not formed and created by God. There are accidental pregnancies, but there are no accidental people. No accidental people. And God loves them all. He deeply cares. It's so powerful to consider the value of human life and your value before God. So when you understand this, this changes the way you pray. 
It changes the way you relate to God. And David says, you made me inside my mother's womb. You knit me together. All those places. You watched me. I was being formed. I was woven in the dark of the womb. You saw me. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. And then in verse 23, I want you to see these prayers that David says to God. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Search me and know what's on the inside. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. The people in the Bible struggled just like you and I struggle. Their challenges were different in their generation, but the same humanity, same sin tendency inside of every human being, the same propensity to move away from God or have worry or concern that concerns, consumes our lives. David says, show me what's on the inside. Show me the internal parts of me that you see. Search me, oh God. And it reminds me of going to a doctor's office. You ever had a moment in your life where you've been thinking about something for a really long period of time and you try to get a doctor's appointment and it takes you about six weeks to get in and you get there and you spend about three minutes with the doctor. And they're like, ask you two questions, yeah, 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 write you a prescription, send you out. Anybody else ever had that experience before, okay? Um, now doctors do that. No doctors who are at Saddleback Church do that, but doctors other places do. And isn't it like the worst feeling where you're consumed with a problem but you feel like they're not? And perhaps maybe you've thought about God like that. Like God's so busy running the universe, why would he care about me? Well, Psalm 139 shows you how much God cares about you. Shows you the access that you have to the creator of the universe. So when David says, search me, oh God, it's coming before the great healer. Coming before the one who can put you back together. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me, know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So the first prayer is a prayer to search me. It's an honest prayer. God, look at me, look at my mind, look at my heart. There's things that you see that I don't see and I really wanna know. I wanna know the thing in me that offends you. I want to know the thing in me that's moving me away from your best for my life. I want to know the thing in me that is down in the future that I can't see now because you know when I sit, when I'm going to get up, that means 10 years from now, you know the stupid stuff I'm going to do. So if you could show me right now so I don't ruin my life, I would really appreciate that, God. So search me. Search me inside and out and show me, oh God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. And the second prayer that he's praying is show me. So it's a prayer to show me the places in my life that have the propensity to ruin my life, that have the propensity to ruin my relationships. Show me the places where I'm stuck. And if there's an area of your life where you just seemingly can't get breakthrough, so you're trying so hard in your own power, ask God to show you what needs to change. Ask God to give you revelation and wisdom to know what step you can take in order to get out of that situation. So instead of us trying so hard, we want to start with search me, God, and show me the things inside of me that you want to change. Now, we could stop right here, and this would be enough. We, like, we, could, we could take this, we could pray these prayers, it would be awesome. But don't you love extra credit and bonus material? I know you do. So I've got two more concepts 
that I think will take it even further because the last part, I wanna click it into another gear of urgency because there's some of us that we could walk out and have like a, you know, Jasmine tea prayer, like search me, show me, journal a little bit. But this is, the last part's gonna be like, I'm going for it, God. I've got some places in my life that I really need your help and I need you to intervene. And we're gonna look at Psalm 51, but before we go there, I want you to know this Psalm, Psalm 51, is written by King David in the Old Testament at a very pivotal point in his life. King David has just seemingly just about destroyed his life. He's the king of the nation of Israel. He sees a woman by the name of Bathsheba bathing on her rooftop, and he decides he wants to sleep with her. So he calls her into his house, sleeps with her, has an affair, then right afterwards decides, long story made short, decides to have her husband killed in battle. And David thinks he's not guilty. He feels like he's not done anything wrong until Nathan the prophet comes and gives David this allegory of a man who steals one sheep from someone. And then at the end of it, Nathan looks at David and says, you are that man, you're the one. And David is stricken with grief over his sin. There's a deep conviction that sets in. And in his conviction, this is David's journal, right after his adultery. And I want you to see what he says. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because your unfailing love. I want you to circle the word mercy, and I want you to circle unfailing love. This is the character of God. God is a God of mercy, God is a God of unfailing love. Mercy is God sparing me of what I deserve. So David comes before God and he's, he's acknowledging, I know I have ruined my life. I know based upon my choices, I should lose my authority as the king of Israel. I know based on my choices, I should, I should spend eternity apart from you, but based on who you are, so God, don't treat me out of my sin, but treat me out of your character. That's the whole message of Jesus. The message of Jesus is that God treats us not as our sins deserve, but out of his character. So he pays the price for our sin on a cross so that we can be free from the power of sin and death. So when David says, have mercy on me because of who you are, not because of me fixing myself, not because of my ability, have mercy on me because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sin. Wash me clean from my guilt and purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. You will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. I wanna go back to verse three. For I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. Sometimes we want a path forward where we just fix ourselves. We try some kind of behavior modification. We try these three steps and somehow we put it all back together. But there's a kind of prayer that recognizes my brokenness before God. It's, it's what Celebrate Recovery teaches that you don't have the power in and of yourself to fix you. I don't have the power in and of me to heal myself, so I need a savior. I need somebody outside of me to fix my propensity to destroy me. If God doesn't intervene on my behalf, I would ruin my life. 
And so when David says, have mercy on me, God, it's my sin. There's something powerful about coming to grips with the reality of my brokenness. I deserve to spend eternity apart from God because of sin. And there's a grief that should sit in from time to time. As David says, my soul is stricken with grief over my sin. Sometimes we, we wanna move forward without the grief, without the grief of our own brokenness, but you cannot get to healing without dealing with that brokenness. You cannot discover the freedom that God fully wants you to experience without a moment. It's like, I need mercy. I need help from you, God, against you. My rebellion is so present. And he says, you will be proved right by what you say. And in your judgment, and your judgment against me is just. So if I were to be separated from you, it would be just. But oh God, would you have mercy? There is a prayer of desperation, which is a prayer of rescue. And it's me saying, God, I need you to rescue me. I need you to rescue me from myself. I need you to help me not destroy my life. Now, there's a guy by the name of Elvis. You probably have heard of one Elvis, but there's another one. And his name is Elvis Francois. Elvis Francois was uh, on a boat just off the coast of the Dominican a couple of months ago. And he went out to work and he started painting. He's a painter. And a wind blew when he was on his boat and that wind pushed him out to sea. And it pushed him so far that he could not get back. And he was so glad he had his paint. So he took his paint out and he just wrote across the boat, help, in really big letters. And for 24 days, Elvis Francois was there at sea and he was praying and asking for intervention. And thank God there was some ketchup on board. And he took that ketchup, he ate it every day just a little bit. Heinz was so happy about this story that they gave him a lifetime supply of ketchup. And at the end of 24 days, a boat saw the word help across the way and came over to him and he was rescued in a moment. And in that moment, could you imagine the thrill for Elvis Francois? I want you to see this picture of him as he's there and just being rescued after 24 days at sea. You and I are just like Elvis, not Presley, but just like this guy. And we all need rescue. We all need mercy. We all need intervention. I wanna encourage you to ask God to rescue you. Where's the place where you need God to rescue you? Is it in, is it in your thinking? Is it some habit that you keep trying to change? Maybe there's something that you've covered so deep from your past. And every time you're about to move forward, that thing from your past keeps coming up. I would remind you, this is central to understanding. My relationship with God is the most important part of my life. There is nothing about you and me that is more important than our soul being in right relationship with God. I want you to write this down. My relationship with God is the most important part of my life. Everything I do flows from that relationship. Everything in my life comes out of the centrality of knowing and having friendship with God. So if at any point, this is so important, any barrier to my relationship with God is a big deal. 
Any sin that stands between me and God needs to be dealt with. Any way of thinking that is holding me bondage from the fullness of what God wants to do in me and through me is a big deal. Any barrier to my relationship with God is a big deal. So like David, I want to have the same kind of urgency about my need for a savior to say, God, have mercy on me. Now watch what he says as he finishes. Create, verse 10, in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And I want you for just a moment to think about, David is, he is recognizing what it's like to be without God in his life. And he's saying, God, if if you for a moment were to remove your hand from my life, I cannot stand the thought of life apart from you. And then he finishes, he says, restore to me the joy of my salvation and make me willing to obey you. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation to me and make me willing to obey you. The fourth And final prayer is a prayer for God to restore us. Say, God, restore me. I need you to give me my joy back. I need you to give me my peace back. I need the fullness of your presence in my life. And there's something so powerful about going before God in urgency to say, God, I cannot do my life without you. I need you. I remember when Stacy and I, I, I've shared this story a little bit, but I remember the, the sense when Stacy and I we were dating and we're back and forth in this moment of she's trying to decide did she want to be with me. And I remember sitting down in front of her and it was like my last pitch to her before uh, she kind of walked away. And I said, I don't believe, I, I believe God's designed us to do life together. And um, I want to ask you to pray about doing life with me. Take two weeks. I gave her a two-week notice. I said, take two weeks and, and pray. And it was like this one pitch, like, I, I want to be with you. Do you want to be with me? But more than any relationship in our lives, more than a marriage, more than a dating relationship, more than your place of work, you, you need God. You were designed by God for God, and there is nothing in this world that can satisfy your soul like God. And when we get to that place of urgency before God, I just, in, on my knees so often, just this begging of God, I need you, God. I need your power, I need your mercy, I need you to intervene on my behalf. I need you to restore to me the joy of my salvation. And some of you, you've been following Jesus for a long time and there's, there's been like this long lag of no connection to God. It's like a marriage where the fire is lost, where the embers have gone out and you need to get on your face before God. Take some time tonight, today, tomorrow. Take some time and just beg God. Just say, God, give me my joy back. Give me your, your presence. Let me experience the fullness of you again. There's an urgency. I need breakthrough. I don't want to stay stuck at this place. I need you, God, to move. And he hears your loving Heavenly Father loves the sound of your voice. Loves when you come before him and says, God, and say, God, I need you. I need you. So I want to challenge you to do two things. First of all, I want to challenge you to pray personally for breakthrough 15 minutes every day this week. And on your notes, you'll notice it's a typo. It says once this month, 
That's a really low bar. You can do more than that. So my challenge is for you to pray for a personal breakthrough for 15 minutes every day. And I understand, just like many of you, I'm ADHD, and my prayer is, dear God, oh, look, there's a bird. I understand. I get it. But when you and I develop that muscle of praying before God, it changes our life. It changes everything. And so our team has worked so hard to help resource us over this next 21 days. In fact, when you scan the QR code on your notes, at the bottom of your notes, that QR code will take you to the place where you can take next steps. And you'll see when you go to next steps, you'll see that there's a place that you can click the button that says pray for breakthrough, praying for breakthrough. And when you click that button, it will take you to a devotional, a 21-day guide all throughout this series every week There's going to be a new series, seven days each week. Every day there's going to be a short devotional that will aid and help us to pray for 15 minutes as a church. That's the first commitment. The second one is I'm going to invite you to pray for 30 minutes for your church. And this is a part of us launching together the Pray 24-7 initiative. And as you do this, you can sign up the exact same way. So as you scan that QR code, and you click on Praying for Breakthrough, there'll be a place on the Breakthrough, Praying for Breakthrough page that you can sign up to pray. And I wanna encourage you, do it once this series, but then afterwards to keep doing it. Once a month, every month. Some of you who are prayer warriors, you're gonna pray eight times a month, some of you four times a month. But the vision with praying, Pray 24-7 is a vision that God put in our hearts for Stacy and I some time ago, and it started when I read a story about Charles Spurgeon in the late 1800s, he was this amazing communicator of God's word. He was a pastor of one of the largest churches in the world at the time, and he was seeing so many people changed by the message of Jesus. It was unbelievable. And people would flock from all over the world, much like our history here at Saddleback Church. People would come from all over the world to hear and see what God was doing through London Tabernacle. And there was one time where a group of preachers came in and they wanted to know, what's the secret sauce behind all of this? What's the strategy? What's the thing that we can do and take back and we'll get instant results? And the person that had these pastors and was taking them through said, we want to show you the secret of what God is doing through Charles Spurgeon and through London Tabernacle. And they went into the basement underneath where Charles Spurgeon was uh, preaching. And underneath where he was preaching, there was a boiler room. And there was a group of men and women in that boiler room and they were crying out to God, asking God to move. They were asking God for breakthrough. They were praying diligently. And God was hearing the prayers of these people as God begged, as they begged God to move in powerful ways. So the vision with Pray 24-7 is to join with God in his mission here on planet Earth, to pray around the clock, nonstop, that God would move in our generation. And there are embers of God moving all over the world. In the last month, there's been a revival that started on a college campus called Asbury, and it's breaking out into other colleges. And there's a hunger and a thirst in our generation. There's a desire for more of God. And we are on the cusp of a revival, an awakening, a global awakening. And we at Saddleback want to be a part of it. We don't want to see God move in our generation and just get sweat, let it just move by. We want to be front row seat. We want to be right in the middle of what God is doing here on planet Earth. And God uses prayer to change things. 
God uses prayer to transform communities. God uses prayer to bring revival to generations. And God is looking for a church that will pray. God is looking for men and women that will commit themselves to intercession. To say, God, we need you to move in our generation. And I want to invite you to be a part of that. So you can sign up for a 30-minute time slot and pray. Again, some of you are like, I ain't prayed 30 minutes in my entire life. How can I do that? Well, our team wants to help you. And we put together, there on that site, you'll see a resource guide that you can take and you can use to begin this journey of praying. I cannot wait to see what God does through us together as we pray diligently, as we make space for him to move through us. I want to invite you this week to sign up to be a part of our Pray 24-7 initiative. There will be a day in decades to come where we will look back and we will say our church has been prayed for nonstop for decades. I believe it's going to happen and it's going to start right now with you and I saying yes to God. So I want to invite you to stand and we're going to worship. We're going to make space for God. We're going to thank him for his faithfulness and we're going to say yes to him. Search me, show me, rescue me, restore me. Search me, show me, rescue me, restore me. That's our prayer, God. We make space for you. God, we don't want to do life in our own power. We don't want to do life without you. We don't want to do church without you. So God, just like David, we know there's, there's sin. There's brokenness in each of us. Thank you that you relate to us, not based on our brokenness, but based on a cross and an empty tomb. Thank you that the penalty of sin has been nailed to a Roman cross. And those words that you cried out, King Jesus, it is finished, are the words that are true about our lives as we come to you. So now as we declare with all of our campuses together in this moment, Every one of our Saddleback campuses declaring, I will make room. I will make space for you. Right now in this moment, King Jesus, we make space for you. We say yes. More of you, less of us. More of your power, less of our effort. More of you breaking through. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.